The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to ACF Church. Um, If you know me, you know that's so not me. Uh, Facebook is for sharing pictures of kittens, just so you know. Like, nothing serious that matters should happen on Facebook. Just just kitten memes. And so, anyway, uh, we're glad that you're here today. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in a series called Ego Trip. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about a couple things and just give you an update. We launched a small initiative here a few weeks ago to start uh, raising some capital to replace this beautiful carpet. Have you looked at this amazing carpet? Um, so, so it's not just the color, but it's literally coming up. And over here, it's kind of a tripping hazard because it's all damaged. And anyway, we just need to replace this stuff. And so you guys have raised $25,000. Just Give yourselves a hand. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for being a part of that. The second phase of that is we are going to undo the blue on our building, which I am so excited about. I don't know if you love the blue, but uh, anyway, it's, it's flaking and coming apart. And so we're going to repaint it probably a different color. But uh, anyway, so we're excited about that. Just so you know, um, great things are happening in ACF Church in this community. I'm just excited about just the movement that I see in our city through all of you guys. Um, just wanted to share a couple things that I, I, I see that are happening here. A friend of mine stopped in to, uh, to my office, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago. And he had been here for the week that we talked about depression. Were you guys here that week? We talked about just struggling with depression in our culture. And it's a hard conversation, and it's a conversation that not a lot of churches are having. having. And so um, you guys have been willing to bring your friends and create a safe space for us to talk about things like this. And because of that, um, he was able to come that week, and he was taking notes about all the symptoms of depression. And he said he went home, and he asked his wife, he's like, honey, uh, I think I'm depressed. And she's like, I know. <laughs> and she's like, I've, I've noticed this for weeks, and I just didn't know how to talk to you about it. And so because of that, he's been able to call uh, mental health on base and just get some help. He's starting to get into counseling and just on the road to recovery. And so praise God that we are a church of authenticity, of people who are willing to come and just bring all of your junk and all of your struggles and your issues and, uh, and to just journey together as a church. And so excited about that. Lots of great things happening in our groups as well. There was a, a women's thing or, or ladies and kids thing that happened this week. They were making pizzas uh, in one of our groups. I think 50 kids showed up to Pizza Hut to make personal pizzas. And so jump into an ACF group if you haven't found one. There's just amazing things happening in those groups. Good community being built and uh, relationships being built. But uh, Luke chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 5. You can uh, open it up on your phone. If you don't have a Bible app, I'd, I'd recommend the YouVersion Bible app on the iPhone. You can download that and follow along there. And then you've always got your Bible with you, which is a great thing to have. So Luke chapter 5, verse 27, is where we're going to start out. So let's just read this together. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector, he meaning Jesus, named Levi, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. In leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. 
And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the series is called Ego Trip, and we're talking about how our egos trip us up in life. And so many times we think way too highly of ourselves or way too lowly of ourselves. So I don't know what kind of ego you have, but the whole goal is to look at ourselves through the lens of Christ. And so uh, this week I've entitled Tripping Over Controversy. And we live in a controversial culture. People are kind of addicted to controversy. Uh, people love to argue about things and just get into it sometimes, whether it's on the internet um, or, or maybe it's just you're seeing this in the schools or in the relationships you have. But people just love love to argue. And there's been a lot of controversies we've experienced over the years. People saying things are going to go this way or things are going to go that way. Do you guys remember Y2K? Who's around for, yeah, so Y2K was this crazy event where uh, it was all about this digital collapse. It was this idea that um, computers were made to know the date based on the first two numbers being a 19. And so we had 1991, 1992, all the way to 99. And they thought, when we hit 2000, it's going to go back to all zeros and the computers are just going to freak out and shut down. And so it was going to be like, you know, a financial collapse. The world was going to end. I, and people were hoarding barrels of beans and rice. Any of you, you hoarders in the room? Some of you still have a barrel of beans in the basement from Y2K. You know, my mom, she went and bought two gallons of water. <laughs> like, what? What's that going to do for us? She's got, I got two gallons of water. It's for Y2K. I'm like, that's like a day's worth of water, mom. Seriously. So anyway, Y2K. And then I just remember I was laying in bed that night and uh, the countdown happened and the ball dropped in New York City and nothing happened, you know? And so like all these people have it. Generators went on sale, you know, all over Craigslist. And oh, did we have Craigslist at that point? Maybe it was pre-Craigslist. But anyway, uh, just crazy. All kinds of opinions floating around about that. Then there was the, the end of the Mayan calendar. Remember that in 2012, December? Everybody, it was going to be the end. People were flipping out. There were people that were so stressed out about the end of the world that they had to go to counseling. And there were some like mass suicides that were being attempted. I mean, it was crazy. They thought it was going to be the end. And then there was a whole other segment of the culture that was like, no, I'm not worried about it. It's not going to be a problem. And sure enough, here we are. Life goes on. There's a reason that the Bible says that we will just not know when it's coming, but it's coming. So anyway, that's, uh, that's the Mayan count. There's a lot of controversial things even today in our culture. The whole gluten-free thing, oh my goodness. People love to fight about the gluten-free thing. Some of you guys in this room, if I even start talking about it, you'd want to fight me. I mean, just like you have strong opinions about gluten-free. And so we're not even going to go there, but uh, it's controversial. How about the yoga pants thing? Why does this keep coming up? I keep seeing articles in the newspaper and on Facebook about the yoga pants thing and, you know, dress codes in the schools. And you've got the people saying, well, I should be able to wear what I want to wear. And then the other people saying, no, you should, you know, protect the, the men in our culture and, you know, and dress more modestly. So I mean, it's just, it is just a lot of controversy in our culture. And so the question is, what do you do? What do you do with this? How do you weigh in? And even beyond that, there, there are deeper things that are being argued about in our culture. When should the church speak up? When should you as Christians speak up? Should you be silent? How should you speak up if it's something you should talk about? I mean, disagreement's going to happen. We know that. We know if you're in relationships, disagreement's going to happen. And we're going to see things that we don't 
agree with. But for some people, controversy has even become kind of a virtue. It's become kind of a virtue to have strong opinions about things, to be argumentative, you know, about things. I mean, do you know people that have a strong opinion about everything? You know, what's the best color? Red. It's just red. Red's, what's the best place to eat in Eagle River? You know, well, it's, it's Garcia's. You got to eat at Garcia's. It's the, only, it's the only place to eat in, in Eagle River. You know, you got to have strong opinions about everything. So that's not necessarily the problem, but the problem comes in where we become people who aren't learners, people who aren't able to grow and able to see things from new perspectives. So I have kind of a little experiment here. Who likes music? Raise your hand. Any music? People love music? Okay. I need two of you. Quick, two volunteers. I'm not going to embarrass you, and I'm going to give you a coffee if you do what I ask you. Okay, one and two. Okay, come on. Both you ladies. Give them a hand, would you guys? Coming up, ladies. Okay, so we're going to do a little game. And uh, real quick, tell us your name. Jaden. Jaden. Rebecca. Okay, Jaden and Rebecca. I don't know why I'm using this. I have two mics. I just hold it to my mouth. So we're going to play a game. So Jaden and Rebecca. So we need somebody who's going to guess a song and somebody who's going to tap a song. You want to be a guesser? So you're going to be a tapper. Okay, so come on over here. Tapper. So you've got the mic. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a couple songs on my phone. And you're going you're gonna to tap the song on the mic. And then she's going to try to guess the song. And if you, if you guys win, uh, I'll give you free coffees. So do a good job. Okay, so first song. Do you know that song? Oh, goodness. Okay, so you got to tap it on the mic. And then Jane's going to guess. Now, don't help her. All right, so ready? Go. You should know this. <laughs> no, either. no? Okay. That's good. Any guesses? Just throw something out there. All about that bass. All about that bass. You were close. It was Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. So you're in the you're in the right neighborhood. Okay, let's try one more. Um can you do the second one? Do you know that one? Mm-mm. Do you know the third one? <laughs> yeah. Okay, try this one. Ready? Go. Oh, man, what's it called again? Right there. Okay, you know the chorus? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of Okay. Ready? <laughs> I love the moves. <laughs> Okay, that's good. Can you hear it? No. Okay, this was, anybody? Any help? Since You've Been Gone by Kelly Clarkson. Come on. Come on. So easy. How do you guys not get this? Okay, let's do that last one. Do you know that one? Yes. Okay. All right, you should know this one. I can hear it. It's good. Let it go. She got it right. Hey, give them a hand, would you guys? Yeah, coffee there. Okay, so here's the... <laughs> I do have a point. Like, what is he doing? So here's the point. So there was this study done at Stanford back in the 90s. And uh, they, they had hundreds of people come in. And they had 120 songs that were going to be tapped out. And so you've got the tappers and the guessers. And it was interesting. When, when they got them in a room, the, uh, the tappers looked at the music 
And they were asked, how many people do you think will be able to guess the song? And they said, well, you know, percentage-wise, I'd say about 50%. And it turned out that once it was all done and they got the numbers back, only 2.5% of people guessed the songs. You know, so only, only 2.5 of the, of the songs were guessed correctly. The rest were wrong. And so it was a really interesting study. And, and the thing that they were identifying is something called the curse of knowledge. I don't know if you guys have heard about this before, but the curse of knowledge is just basically this idea that once you know something or think a certain way about something, you can't imagine what it would be like to not know that. And so this little experiment's kind of funny because you got the person over here and you can see her. She's like, because you can't not hear the song in your head, right? She's like, let it go, let it go. And so you can't imagine, and it's almost frustrating, like, why can't you get this? I'm tapping out the song, and they're just clueless, right? Because they don't know what you know. And so what I'm getting at here is that there's a lot of controversy in our culture. We have a lot of opinions about a lot of different things, and you've walked in here with a certain way that you view the world and a way that you view the church and maybe even a way that you view God. And so what we want to do is sort of level the playing field and just consider that there may be some other ways to see things. And Jesus, in this situation, he comes into this culture and he blows their perspectives out of the water. He came and he invited anyone and everyone to follow him. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if you were born in the right family. It didn't matter if you did the right things. He said, come and follow me, which collided with this highly religious culture that had turned salvation into this moralistic burden that only the religiously elite could acquire. And so just imagine this Jesus coming into this type of culture with this way of viewing things, and they would have had to totally explode the way they viewed following God and what it looked like to access God. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this hopefully with fresh eyes this morning and, and just read his word and just see what God might have for us as we talk about controversy in, uh, in our culture. So could we pray together? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. We just ask that you would enlighten us today, that we could uh, see things with fresh eyes. Father, that we would lay down all of our opinions and our perspectives and our history, God, and we would be willing to read your word for what it is and to be challenged by it. And God, I just pray you would grow us as individuals, that we could be fully present as we open your word here today. God, even on this sunny day outside, God, we just we want to start off well by, by worshiping you well and by being challenged by you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we will be hanging out in Luke 5 here. You can keep your Bibles flipped to, uh, to Luke 5. But Jesus, again, comes into this culture after 2,000 years of, of religious tradition and, and watching, watching things develop. And he comes into this place where if, if you look at religious history, what you're going to see is a tendency to create sacred places and sacred people. And if you just look at the, the progress of the church in general, there's this tendency to, to elevate certain people and to elevate certain places. And so this is the culture that he's in, this highly religious culture. And, and people were given religious and political authority, and there's this temptation to twist their authority and to use it for personal gain. And so things were all kinds of out of whack. What, what you would have ended up with is the haves and the have-nots, right? You've got the in-crowd and the out-crowd, those who belonged and those who didn't belong. And those who belong are always the ones that make the rules, right? And so they're making all these rules about what it takes to belong. And so you've got these two groups of people that are being talked about here, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
You've got the Sadducees that were like wealthy religious politicians, which sounds dangerous, right? Lots of money, lots of religion, lots of politics. This sounds like, you know, a, a tinderbed for a lot of bad things. And so they would use their political influence and their religious influence to elevate themselves, to get what they want, and to, to increase the gap between them as the religiously elite and those other people. And so then we've got the, the, uh, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were more like the middle class. And the Pharisees, you know, they wanted to follow all of the 613 laws or whatever of the Old Testament. But then they had this oral tradition. They also added to the things where they also said, okay, here are all the laws and then here's what it takes to follow them. Here's what your life has to look like. And so they've got a lot of rules, a lot of morality-based religion, and then here's also what you need to do to get your life all cleaned up so that you can access God. And so Jesus shows up to this type of culture, and he says, I've got something completely new. So it's going to blow your minds. It's just, right? Love God with all your heart and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of Christ. It's all wrapped up into these two things. And you can imagine how they would have felt about this. Like, no, Jesus, you don't understand. I got that and 613 more things, plus some other stuff that I've just made up for the fun of it. You know, like, it's going to be difficult, and it's got to be more difficult than that. Obviously not fully understanding the gravity of what it would take to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus, we just read, he calls to Levi, which Levi is another name for Matthew. In a different account, you you read that he calls to Matthew, the tax collector. And let's read this part again. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So Jesus shows up, calls to this guy who's a tax collector, and then they end up eating together. And and this eating together is something called tabling. And we don't do tabling anymore. This is kind of a weird thing for us, you know, since the industrial revolution, we've got, you know, TV and lights and, you know, when, when, when the sun goes down outside, when it ever goes down in Alaska, right? When it does finally go down, we kick on a couple lights in the wintertime and, and we just hang out and we kill time till it's time to go to bed. And we do all kinds of things. Whereas for them, in their culture, when the sun would go down, work was sort of done. You'd go inside, maybe light some candles or something, but you'd be, you'd be sort of stuck indoors and you would make a meal and for them eating was this this whole evening thing i mean it was this it was hours worth uh, of eating whereas we're a fast food culture right you know like when i gotta eat i just pull into mcdonald's and i grab some nuggets and i throw them at my kids in the back seat and then i'm on to the next thing and we just like food is just a means to an end for us we just i'm hungry i want to fill my belly and then go on to the next thing whereas for them they did this thing called tabling where they would sit and they would gather their closest friends together and they would spend hours in an evening just talking and and getting to know each other better and enjoying good food and good drinks and just having a great time. And so in this culture, it meant a lot when you would sit down and have a meal with somebody. Jesus chooses to table with the tax collectors. And not just one, it says that there was a whole company 
of tax collectors and, and, and sinners, he calls them. So this would have been the, uh, the down and out of their culture. The, the, the total fray of their society was sitting there with Jesus in Levi's house having a meal. You can imagine it'd be the, it'd be the homeless and, you know, the, the drunks and the prostitutes, you know, and, and the drug dealers. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like all of us, right? All of us at church here sitting with Jesus, the, the, the dirty, rotten sinners, you know, sitting with Jesus who, who shouldn't have access to this rabbi. This is a crazy deal. And the tax collectors, if, if you don't know much about them, they were despised in their culture, absolutely despised. So we've got Israel being ruled by this Roman Empire, and the Romans were this brutal force, this monstrous, brutal military force that took a lot of money to operate. I mean, just you can imagine the, the millions of people involved with this Roman Empire and how much money it would have taken for that to happen. And so what they would have is tax collectors, you know, and, and these tax collectors would work in the culture and they would collect money from you and me to pay for this Roman Empire. And it's not just that we're paying, you know, to the government that we benefit from. Literally, this was forced, ta- you know, forced taxing, tax, taxing. If you didn't give to this, you were going to be killed. You know, we're going to take away all your stuff. We're going to take away your family, everything you have. And so they hated the Romans and they couldn't believe this guy, uh, Levi, would have been from this Jewish culture but would have been like a trader working for the Romans, taking up to 90% of their income in taxes. You hate taxes now? Think 90% of your income being taken to pay for this military empire that you uh, hate with all of your might. So this is who he's sitting with. This is who he calls to. And he says, hey, you, Levi the tax collector, come sit. Let's eat together. And Levi gets up and he follows him. So this blew their social system out of the water. This was not okay. Jesus was a religious man, a rabbi. And for him to sit with these people, they would have been considered unclean. They would, they would be the, the dirty, rotten outcasts of the society that they had. And they would have been unclean. And so for Jesus to sit with these people would have made Jesus unclean. And this, they would have had a real problem with this. Like, Jesus, this does not fit the way that we view the world. This does not compute. You are a rabbi. You should not sit with these dirty, rotten people. So as you look at Jesus and you look at his life, he attracted the sinners and he angered the religious. And so it asks you, what does your life look like? I mean, I ask myself, do I attract those who are down and out? Do I attract those who are lost in, in some kind of addiction, some kind of problems? You know, do I connect with those people or am I too holy for that? Too holy to sit with these dirty people? You know, have I separated myself from the society that I live in? And then does it, he angers the religious, which is interesting. Does your lifestyle anger those who, who are religious? And I mean religious in a negative sense, in the sense that they've created these, all of these other laws and rules that it take to access God. So what does your life look like? So I've got a, I've got a question for you. Did Jesus come to bring peace or controversy? As you look at your life, do you have a controversial life or do you have a peaceful life? You might say, well, over here it's peaceful, over here it's a little controversial. But as we look at Jesus, here are a few, a few passages that speak to how he lived. Because he was a man of peace. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. 
Mark 9.50, salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what shall you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. John 14.27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John 16.33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So we've got all of this stuff about Jesus being peaceful, someone who brings peace, who gives peace. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. But I wonder if, if, that, if that term peacemakers was chosen, chosen uh, intentionally. That is, blessed are the peacemakers, not blessed are the peacekeepers. You guys know there's a difference, right? There are people who make peace, and there are people who just try to keep the peace. And so over here we read about the controversy of Jesus. Matthew ten thirty four. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Luke fourteen twenty six. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty divisive, right? Jesus divided their culture. I mean, he walked in and he was one of the most, if not the most divisive people that have ever walked the face of the earth. When somebody shows up and says that they're God, that's pretty controversial, right? If I said that, that'd be pretty controversial. That'd be a pretty big, okay, let's, let's talk about this, Brian. I'm not so sure, you know? Uh, you know, this is a big deal. And so Jesus is both. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, and as we look at his life, he has this way of being a man of peace, of walking in to different situations and being a welcoming person, someone who acknowledges and accepts anybody and everyone. And yet his, his life at its very core was controversial. It's not that Jesus wanted to bring controversy. It's that he himself was controversial because he was God. And so again, I have to ask myself, what does my life look like? What does my look like, life look like? Well, you might think, well, as Christians, Jesus was controversial, and so we should be controversial, right? You know, the Bible says that I will be hated for the namesake of Jesus. And so that being the case, I'm kind of hated a lot by a lot of people, so that must mean that I love Jesus, right? I mean, it's like if, if a lot of people hate me, then maybe I love Jesus. But I would ask you this question, whose name are you hated for? I think we as the church have to ask this question. Are we hated for the name of Jesus? Or are we hated because we're just being jerks, right? I mean, I think we have to ask that question. Because you don't want to hide behind that. Well, nobody likes me. You know, people just criticize me. And, but, you know, Jesus said that would happen. And so I guess I'm a Christian, you know. I think we have to wrestle with this because, as we said last week, it's becoming more and more difficult, I think, to be a Christian in this culture. And so I would ask you, are you hated for the things that Jesus was hated for? I mean, if you're hated because you are healing the sick, you know, and you are helping the needy, and you're helping the poor, and, and the homeless, you know, and the widows and the orphans, if you're hated for all of that, then I think you might be actually following Jesus and being hated for the right things. But I think we have to address that. Why am I hated or why is there criticism or conflict in my life and is the conflict around the things that matter is it around the things of the kingdom of god or am i in conflict about things that don't really matter paul says this in first corinthians 2 1 through 5 
And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So there's so much here. Paul is like, listen, I am an educated man. And I could argue about God and I could argue about religious things all you want. But instead of doing that, I'm not sure that's going to get us anywhere. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to show up in the power of the Spirit, in fear and much trembling. And I'm going to know one thing, and that's that Jesus Christ is crucified. That's what I'm going to know. I'm going to boil everything that I know down to Jesus Christ and him crucified. And here's what I think. Here's one of my points. Every disagreement should be seen through the lens of Jesus Christ crucified for you and for them. I think we have to start with that. Whatever your disagreement is, whatever the issue is, whether it's a philosophical issue or just, you know, trying to pick which place you're going to for dinner tonight, you have to start with this. Jesus Christ crucified for you and for them. And that may seem kind of extreme to you, you know, depending on the situation. Brian, should I really look at everything through that lens? But I think it's important that we do that because it's really hard to be arrogant at the foot of the cross. It's really hard. Nothing gets your ego in check like staring up at Jesus Christ crucified. You get, do you guys see that? Like nothing gets us into perspective to see the issues that we have for what they are, like looking at Jesus Christ dying, not just for me, but also for them. I think that changes the way that we're going to deal with conflict. It changes the way that we see controversy. It, it focuses us. It forces us to ask the, the, the hard questions of, am I, am I arguing about the right things? And instead of trying to be faultless, Try to be faithful. Have you ever known somebody that literally will go down with the ship for anything? You know? Like once you say something, they hold on to it forever. Like if you make a statement, then I will go to the grave backing up this statement, even if I am completely wrong, right? I think, I think as the church, if we're in the church, we need to be people who are willing to grow and willing to learn. My perspective on God has changed. It's different today than it was 10 years ago, which goes to show me that in 10 years, there's going to be things that I'm going to learn about God that I don't know now. I mean, even my perspective of the Bible, I remember when I first started studying the history of the Bible, where it came from, how to properly read it within its context, and how to apply it to our context today. When I started understanding the Bible for what it was, it was like, you know, I mean, I had this whole new view of what this book was that I thought just kind of parachuted out of heaven, you know, into our hands today in English, you know. I mean, it, it didn't come out that way. And so uh, it forced me to, to change my perspective in my view. And I just wonder if you have sort of pat answers for certain things in Christianity. I wonder if you have a certain way that you view what it looks like to be a good Christian in our culture or what it, what it takes to access God. I wonder if some of those views might need to be tweaked. And that's why we're here, right? That's why we study the word. It's because we want to grow together. And we don't want to be the people in this story who are the ones that crucified Jesus for bringing something new. 
for changing our perspective, for challenging what we think we know. And again, I'm not making a war on the truth because there is one truth. And I'm not making a war on God's word because you know what? God's word never changes and God never changes. But you know what changes? Our perspective. Our perspective always changes and it should. If your perspective on Jesus and on the cross hasn't changed in the last 10 years, then you're not growing. You're not, you're not talking. You're not wrestling with these scriptures. They force you to wrestle, which is why they are so controversial. So I've got a few practical things as we deal with controversy. As you see controversy in your life, just a few practical ways of dealing with controversy. The first is this, reassess your stance. Just reassess your stance. I think we should always take another look at the way that we view something, at our opinions. If you have strong opinions about things, time to take another look. Do you ever just read books that argue the opposite side of what you think about something? I actually love to read books that argue that there is no God. Because when I read those books, I understand another perspective. So are you willing to open up a book like that and wrestle through it? I encourage you to do it with friends, to wrestle through the questions and the issues with faith. And do you have an answer for evolution and for things like that that are, that are questions people really ask about their faith? Are you willing to look at it? Because here's the thing, God can stand your questions He can stand up to all of your questions. And so if our God can't stand up to our questions, and I'm not following the right God, he is big enough for your questions. And God's not intimidated by your questions. And so reassess your stance. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, again, in this culture, they would have had a lot of different religions floating around. Just like here in our culture, it's funny how many Christians I hear talking about like karma and things like that. I'm like, wait a minute, do you realize that you're mixing worldviews here? That you're kind of mixing a couple different things and views of your life? And, you know, it's just interesting to me how those things can work their way into the way that we view the world. So reassess your stance. The next thing is this. Consider others better than yourself. So once you reassess your stance, then we have to look at this person and we have to deal with the the controversy in front of us. And we begin by considering others better than ourselves. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What if we really thought this? What if we really thought that others were more significant than ourselves? What kind of life would... That would make some changes, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that force some changes in your life if you, if you counted everybody else more significant than yourself? And maybe you're like, Brian, I, I do think that. But everybody, everybody is selfless until it's Black Friday and Best Buy is out of flat screens, you know? I mean, like, or it's that last one on the wall and you see the other person going for it and then it's just like knock down, drag out, fight for the, the flat screen TV. People get killed every year on Black Friday. It's just crazy to me. But it's, it's this like... Well, we're selfless until you put me in the right situation, and then all of a sudden I become very selfish. My ego takes over, and I just take care of myself. Consider others better than yourself. I think that we're all going to come into a situation where we have to choose between the relationship or being right. And in that situation, what do you do? How do you respond? Do you elevate the other person? 
And again, there are times to stand. There are times to fight. There are times to say what you need to say. But care for the relationships in your life. Number three, decide if and when to speak. Okay, so you've, you've slowed down, reassessed your, your stance. You have, you've then looked at them as better than yourself. And then you have decided if and when to speak. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight. 28. Uh, this is just brutal. It says, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. So this is code for like, if you're the kind of person that just starts talking, right? You'll actually look wiser by just not saying anything at all. Like, I don't know, who's the guy in the corner that's not saying anything? I don't know, but he's brilliant. Look at him. Uh, he's got thoughts. He's just not saying it. Like, that's what this is saying. Literally, just keep your mouth shut sometimes. Sometimes just slow down and, and don't have an opinion for, for once, you know? Like, it's easy to just spout off. And this is, I'm guilty too of just, I've got opinions on this and I have to throw it into the mix. But sometimes just, just sitting back and making space so that you can decide, should I weigh into this? Is this something I should be a part of? And again, I am not saying avoid conflict because I think conflict avoiders cause more conflict than they know. We don't want to be people who are conflict avoiders. We don't want to be people who are unwilling to have an answer for the truth that we, that we have in Jesus. You know, we want to have an answer for those things. We don't want to avoid conflict. But lean into it. Share the truth when you need to. Number four, when you do speak, don't escalate the conversation. Don't escalate the conversation. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So this is, this is the person that, you know, when we disagree, when you have a different perspective, I'm emotionally involved now. Like, I actually can't handle that you don't see this the way that I see this. And then as we talk about it, I start getting fired up, right? And, and, and I'm upset that you don't agree with me. And so I, I start raising my voice and I start getting emotionally involved. And what he's saying is, people who do that are like a city left without walls, that you are liable to be carried off by your emotions. Like you're like an unprotected city. And at any moment, you can be broken into and carried off doing things that you never meant to do, saying things that you wish you had never said, right? Done it, right? Come on. Emotionally, people, I just get charged up, get fired up. You, you share, so you start talking, and then you're like, man, if I could take that back, I would, you know? It's frustrating. So don't escalate the conversation. And this may be the hardest one, number five. After you've done all of this, let go. Just let go. Don't become one of those hyper-cynical people who walk through the world just criticizing everything because nothing's good enough for you. Don't walk through the world just, just saying, oh, it's just going to hell in a handbasket and, you know, just get me to heaven. Just get me out of here, Jesus. This place is a mess. Because that's what's going to happen if you don't know how to trust God in all of this. We talked the first week, let go of control. It's not your job to fix it. It's not your job to save anybody, to fix anybody. Just let go. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, 
a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is how we approach the world. This is how we approach our wives and husbands, our roommates, our friends. Let all anger and wrath be put away from you. And then I love how he ends this. He calls it a fragrant offering to God. And in the Old Testament, what they had is these, these burnt offerings. And so you would come to the temple and, and to, to, uh, to make right your relationship between you and God, you would bring the best of the best, the best animal that you had, and you would put it on the altar. It would be slaughtered, and then it would be lit on fire. Kind of a gruesome deal. But it would be lit on fire, and it wouldn't just burn. It would completely burn up, and it would completely turn to dust. And as it's burning, this smoke would come up into the sky. And, and we read in Scripture that, that God says it's, it's a fragrant offering. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a sweet smell to God. And not that God loves the smell of cooking meat. You know, it's like, although I do, I do think God loves the smell of cooking meat. But it's, it's because God, God looks at that and he says, listen, you have given everything. And this was a foreshadowing of Christ who had come to earth as the perfect sacrifice who would give everything of himself and would die on a cross for us and be the atonement of our sins. He would make right our relationship with God. And so in this context, he's saying, listen, with you and your friends, sometimes you're going to just have to get completely burned up. When it comes to you, as you follow Jesus, you know what? There's none of you left. It's just dust. And what's left is a rebuilding of your life with Jesus at the center. Like that God doesn't want to just kind of fix your problems. He wants to completely break down the house that is your life and rebuild something beautiful and something new in Christ. And that, so that's what it's going to take. As you deal with conflict, it's going to take this moment where you, where you just let go and you just get kind of burned up. And you just say, listen, I have done what I'm called to do, what I should do. I've spoken when I should speak. I have been quiet when I should be quiet. And at some point, we just let go. And this is hard. I, uh, so two weeks ago, we celebrated, me and Amanda, we celebrated 12 years of marriage, which is pretty awesome. So, you can clap for that. That's cool. Yeah. Starting to think we just might make it, right? After 12 years. That was good. So 12 years of marriage, and I was just thinking about that. I'm like, you know, we didn't make it to this point, uh, by fighting about everything. I mean, you learn, you married people, you guys who have a lot of years on me, been married 20, 30, 40 years, you know that you don't make it without choosing your battles. You don't make it without looking at these, these conflicts in your home with a different perspective and saying, is this worth it? Does this matter? What is this really about? And I think, you know, in the past 12 years, that's how we've learned how to live. We've gotten better and better at going, I think, I think that this is really about this over here. And so this is what we talk about, the deeper matters of the heart, the things that truly matter. We try to, at least. We still argue about stupid stuff. But we try to talk about the deeper matters of the heart. So I think as a church, we need to be willing to have tough conversations with people in our culture. I think we need to have answers for what we believe. I think we need to stop throwing stones at people that disagree with us, and we need to start eating with them. How would that be? What if you found some people that disagree with you? What, what if you found people with different perspectives on the world, who don't have a Christian worldview, who don't agree with you, who are willing to sit down and just make a meal? What if you just made a meal at your house, and you had their family over with your family, and you just ate together? And you just wrestled through this, this life together. 
I think far too many Christians isolate themselves. It's far too easy to follow Jesus and run to the church and then never leave. And we're called to be sent out of here, you guys. This, this morning, this Sunday morning, this is a launch pad into this community. I mean, you guys are going to leave here and you're going to go, you know, sit on your back decks and, you know, smoke some, some meat on the back deck and you're going to hang out in the front yard and you're going to mow your yards. And you have neighbors all around you. You're going to be at work all this week with people who desperately need to hear the gospel. And so many of you are doing great jobs of just living that lifestyle out. You're living lives that demand a response, that demand for people to ask questions like, what do you believe what you believe? I had uh, this friend of mine back in Grand Junction, and I ran into him at a, at a soup kitchen. And he was a local DJ on a local radio station. His name was Mitch. And uh, great guy. Uh, super opinionated guy, because you're a DJ, you have strong opinions. So super opinionated guy. And we were, we were getting to know each other a little bit, and the guy just loved people. And he would show up at any community event that was helping out the homeless and the needy. He would always give to the food bank, and he'd try to, he slept on top of a building once to raise money for food for this local food bank. I mean, it was cool. The guy just loved people. He had a lot of the image of God coming out of him, and he didn't even know it. And so we got to know each other a little bit, and, and uh, I, I saw him one day, and he had this Dodge pickup, like, just like mine, and we got talking about it, and he's got this uh, vegetable oil system. He burns vegetable oils in his truck like I, like I do now, and I'm like, hey, man, I'd love to learn how to do that, how to convert my truck, and he's like, sure, let's hang out together, and so we start spending time together, and we start, every Friday, we get into his truck, and we drive around Grand Junction, picking up barrels of oil behind restaurants, lots of fun, and but we got hours in the truck talking to each other. And as we're talking, it was great. He'd ask me, hey, what do you do? I'm like, well, I work at a church. And he'd say like, man, that's cool. Everybody's got their superstitions. And uh, I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And so we'd keep talking. I'm like, what do you believe? And he had all kinds of karma type beliefs, you know, and you just kind of live as good as you can, do as good as you can. And, you know, hopefully if there's something next, you get in and, uh, you know, and so that was our conversation a lot of times driving around. But I was just honored that he was willing to allow us to be in on that conversation together. I was honored that he would welcome that talk, knowing that we were coming at things from completely different angles. And I was honored that my life hadn't, hadn't been a life that would, that would communicate to him that we have nothing in common, that I can't relate to you. And so I wonder for us, what if each of you had that type of community in your life? What if each of you were in those conversations all week long? asking difficult questions, wrestling with the issues. Maybe, maybe some of you are here today. And maybe you're here today and you're on the other side of things and you don't believe in Jesus. You don't believe in this stuff. And if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here having the conversation because we as a community will be a safe place for people to come with their questions and their doubts and their fears and their hurts. Amen? Amen. That's what we will be as a church. That's our call. And then we'll go out and we'll do that in the city too. So the world needs a church that's confident in Jesus, that's confident in the truth of Scripture and also growing. So lean into the naysayers, lean into the doubters, lean into those who think that you just have a superstition and you might learn more than you really know. Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks for your church. Father, thank you that you have drugged me out of the darkness into your marvelous light. 
And God, I just know that there's a city full of people that need your grace. A city full of people that need to hear that there are no moralistic standards, there are no requirements, but to simply come and humble ourselves and surrender ourselves to Jesus. We thank you for this message today. God, I pray we would be a church that lives lives that exudes your grace to our city. I pray that people would see lives that demand questions and answers. God, and they would feel safe talking to people from the ACF church community. Because we have our own doubts. We have our own problems. We have our own questions. And God, I just pray that you would continue the movement that's happening here. Father, that we wouldn't be tripped up by controversy, by our opinions. God, that we would be a humble community of those who are just striving to follow Jesus one day at a time. We thank you for your grace, God. And in this worship time, I pray that we would be able to give our best to you. I pray for everybody in this room that they'd be able to shut down any insecurities or any worries about the person next to them and just be willing to lift their hands in worship, to lift their voices in worship. Father, you deserve everything today because you gave all for us. We love you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.